In 2022, Team Milk came together by sponsoring female marathon runners for the marathon in New York City. Today, they're more than 20,000 strong. In 2024, Team Milk is making an even bigger commitment to female runners and launching the only women's marathon in the U.S., designed for and by women. The inaugural Every Woman's Marathon will take place in Savannah, Georgia on November 16th, 2024. You can learn more and register for the marathon at everywomansmarathon.com. All right, I think we're good to go. I'm going to do a little intro again, and then we'll just get right to it. Let's do it. I'm Sam Sanders. You are listening to Into It from Vulture, and we're about to play a game with two wonderful, great friends of the show. I think you last heard them both in this podcast feed, drinking alcohol during the day, right? Big time. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And you lived to return for another appearance on the podcast. Tell folks who you are. Okay, I'm Rebecca Alter, and I'm a news writer at Vulture. And I'm Gabby Grossman. I am the podcast operations manager here at New York Magazine. And I still have three bottles of Bruno Mars rum in my house. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, right. Is that what the winner gets today? I will send you one of these half-drunk bottles of Bruno Mars rum if you want it. (laughs) Anywho, with that, let's play a game that is also kind of celebrity-focused this week. Into it, not into it. As y'all know by now, I will bring you three pop culture stories, and you're going to tell me if you're into it or not and why. At the end, I will determine a winner based on how much I like your opinions. Shall we? Let's do it. First question for you. Are we into or not into Mexican Pizza, the musical? Oh, I'm going to say not into. So Rebecca's not into it. Gabby, you don't know what it is. I know that there's the Taco Bell Mexican pizza and that like a few months ago, I saw Doja Cat create some song on TikTok about it. Mexican pizza is a pizza. Yeah, yeah. Is this related? This is a continuation of it. So the big headline right now is that Taco Bell is sponsoring and will premiere on TikTok this September 15th. Mexican Pizza, the musical. Mexican Pizza is the pizza for you and me. It's going to feature Dolly Parton and Doja Cat. Oh, my God. So the whole story is kind of crazy. Doja Cat was originally paid to make that little Taco Bell Mexican pizza jingle, and she said so. She said it was bought and paid for and that she didn't actually like the track that much. She called it an atrocity of a beat. But after (laughs) this song took off on TikTok and after Taco Bell paid her to do it, an online creator made kind of a mock-up of a TikTok Mexican pizza Taco Bell musical. Mexican pizza. Kwamamanze, this is where we need you. Pizza. You know, put your stank on it, girl. His name is Victor Kunda. And now Taco Bell is like, let's keep going with this. So now Doja will be in the official musical on TikTok as will Victor Kunda, the online creator, as will Dolly Parton. Knowing that, Gabby, are you now into it or not into it? 
A full musical's tough, man. We don't need a whole three-act structure going on. Like, I love my Mexican pizza. I love Taco Bell. I'm personally a Crunchwrap Supreme girly. <laughs> I'm not into it. I am not into this for several reasons. I think I've had Taco Bell twice in my life. Whoa. Uh, as someone who grew up in South Texas and now lives in Southern California, I just go and get real Mexican food when I want it. <laughs> On top of that, <laughs> I'm tired of the lines being blurred between actual creator content and advertisement swill. I didn't know for a while that that fun Doja Cat TikTok song about Mexican pizza was actually bought and paid for. I was deceived. So no Taco <laughs> Bell, no Mexican pizza. I don't see it for you. No. None of us are into it. Uh, but let's give Dolly a point. I'm never going to be mad at sure. her or whatever she does. She deserves yeah. it. Are we into or not into the kind of mean Leah Michelle rumor that will never <laughs> die? She talked about it last week in the New York Times. She addressed rumors that she can't actually read, telling the Times, quote, it's sad. It really is. <laughs> that she can't read? <laughs> well, actually, she didn't say she could or couldn't read. She just said the rumors no. are sad. She never confirmed or denied. <sighs> oh. I'm a great big clump of talent. These are facts. I've got no so as early as 2018, there was a YouTube video chronicling what these creators thought was a conspiracy. And the conspiracy was that Leah Michelle could never read that well or read at all because she started her life on Broadway and acting very young. So she kind of stopped going to school. And they tried to cover it up her entire career to the extent that Ryan Murphy, the creator of Glee, would feed her all the lines she had to read on that show during the entire run of Glee. That rumor began in 2018, and it's just never died. I think the tricky ethical line that this meme, like, flirts along, like, a sort of ableism line, maybe, but what makes it feel okay and funny and fun is, like, Leah Michelle is such a reportedly, like, awful person. I thought you were going to say something else when you said such a, but you, you say that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It feels like for years now, everyone who has anything to say about Leah Michelle has kind of said they don't like her that much. Yeah, the word on the street about Leah Michelle is not great. And then her New York Times statement that when she said, it's sad, it really is. She never said, obviously, I can read you idiots. She just said how sad it was. And I think just the fact that it's so perfectly what someone who couldn't read would say. <laughs> I will say this, lover or hater, the girl works and she stays booked and busy. And in fact, she's exactly where she wants to be. I guess what I'm saying is I am into Leah Michelle, no matter how ruthless she might be. I'm kind of less into the rumor. Where do you guys stand? Final I'm the verdict. opposite. I'm not into <laughs> Leah Michelle and I'm into the rumor. Mean girl okay. vote today. <laughs> Rebecca? I am I-N-T-O space I-T. You're into the rumor. Okay. Mm -hmm. Will I give either of you a point for that? We'll circle back to it. <laughs> Let's get to our last question. Are we into or not into what I have affectionately been calling the spit? 
or the Don't Worry Darling press tour drama. I was just on a famed website, twitter.com, where I read a tweet <laughs> from one Miss Rebecca Alter that said, the spit, the slap, this year's new cycle better buy me breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a lot. For those who have no idea what we're talking about, let me explain the latest as of this Tuesday, September 6th taping. Let's begin with the casting of this erotic thriller called Don't Worry, Darling. Shia LaBeouf and Florence Pugh were set to star in this movie, and Olivia Wilde was set to direct. But once allegations of Shia being abusive to his ex, FKA Twigs, surfaced, Florence Pugh said, I don't want to work with him. And then Olivia Wilde said later to Variety that she fired LaBeouf from Don't Worry, Darling, because, quote, his process wasn't conducive to the ethos I demand in my productions. She also said, I have a no a-holes policy. But later, Shia LaBeouf said he actually left the film on his own volition. He even shared a video where Olivia seemed to take his side and criticize Florence. Crazy. And so all that's happening, and then it comes time for the Venice Film Festival, where all of the stars of this film are supposed to go promote it. Um, Florence seems to be avoiding all press for the film, even getting to the Venice Film Festival late to avoid interviews. And then Chris Pine looks like he's been in distress sitting next to Harry Styles during all these interviews and junkets. And the icing on the cake happened, I want to say, September 5th, there's an image and a short video online that seems to show, at least some believe, Harry Styles going to take his seat next to Chris Pine, but quietly spitting in Chris Pine's lap as he sits down. Do y'all think that's real? No, I don't. That just doesn't seem like Harry Styles to me. Not on purpose. Uh, like, He's just wait, 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 not on oh purpose. Oh my god, it was so deliberate. You think? <laughs> I think he spat, but like he held himself back from spitting an actual, from hawking an actual loogie. But I think he did it as like a symbol of disrespect. Like think of like a one hundred year old Greek woman like pretend spitting at you. That's like the biggest disrespect, and I think that's kind of what he was doing there. Harry Styles, the old Greek maid. <laughs> I can't imagine Harry doing that because he has a real image to cultivate. But let me tell you something. And none of their previous histories matter. When you are locked up in the vortex of crazy film behind the scenes drama, everyone's going to surprise you. Something about this movie, something about this combo of people, none of them are actually acting professional. Even Chris Pine, who I love, he is going around purposely looking dead in the eyes <laughs> at every event for this film. All of them are being a little bit petty. All of them have you lost really their You really think minds. it was like a true, I spit on you disrespect? Yeah, I think Harry Styles is a real emperor has no clothes situation for me, where I think the rest of the world is beguiled by something that doesn't have a lot of there there. I think he's very cute and he dresses very nice. And I think that's sort of the extent of what's going on. So I don't put it past him. I like the music. I just feel like 
I need petty celebrity drama. It gives me strength, and I want all celebrities to occasionally do this. I think that the spit is white Hollywood's answer to the slap, and I'm all for the diversity. (laughs) Let's open it up. It gives me sustenance. It gives me life. I just, oh, chef's kiss. I am more into this than I ever thought I would be. I love it, love it, love it. So you both are into the drama. Absolutely. Into the drama. I will give you both a point for that one. I think I'm going to have to declare this a tie. You both win. Does this mean we each get a quarter of a bottle of Bruno Mars rum? (laughs) Congratulations to you both. Congratulations to Petty Celebrity Drama. Let's circle back here once the Taco Bell musical is out, okay? We all better have front row seats. Calling all female runners, it's time to lace up and join Team Milk. Since the 2022 New York City Marathon, Team Milk has sponsored female marathon runners nationwide, providing support and shining a spotlight on their unique stories, perseverance, and drive to go the distance. Why milk? Dairy milk is an excellent nutritional ad for both marathon training and recovery. Milk contains 13 essential nutrients, including high-quality protein, making it a crucial component of a training diet. Plus, it's one of the best beverages for hydration, even better than water. The same electrolytes that are added to many of your favorite sports drinks are found naturally in milk. And in 2024, Team Milk is taking the next step to empower female runners by launching the only women's marathon in the U.S. designed for and by women. Built to be accessible, empowering, and community building, the inaugural Every Woman's Marathon will take place in Savannah, Georgia on November 16, 2024. You can learn more and register for the marathon at everywomansmarathon.com. It's recording. A few months ago, I got a tour backstage at a Broadway show. We're in the, the, the stage door, so it's very busy because we're about to have a matinee. This tour was led by an actor who stars in said show, John Andrew Morrison. Well, welcome to the backstage world. I love it. I've never been strange backstage on Broadway. And I noticed something that I really wasn't expecting to see backstage at a Broadway show. Uh-huh. Did you ever expect a show this black to be here? No. (laughs) All the actors and singers backstage were black. That is quite unusual for Broadway. But this musical is in no way typical Broadway. This show that John Andrew Morrison stars in is called A Strange Loop. And for the entire show, every person on stage is black. Usher, usher. The whole show is about this person named Usher, a black, queer, plus-size theater usher trying to write a musical about a black, queer writer and working through queer phobia and fat phobia and racism in the process. The entire show is Usher in conversation with his own thoughts. And the thoughts are played by all black actors, including Morrison. 
is, and the Tony goes to A Strange Loop. Earlier this summer, A Strange Loop won Best Musical at the Tonys. Accepting the award for a strange But interestingly enough, when I talked to the show's creator, Michael R. Jackson, he told me that one of the biggest inspirations for this show, at least musically, it was three white women. Joni Mitchell, Tori Amos, and Liz Fair. There's even a whole song in the show dedicated to the main character's inner white girl. Unleash his blackness feels like another hurdle that won't get out of his way. His inner white girl starts kicking like a baby. She wants to come out and play. So while there's already been so much written and talked about A Strange Loop at this point, I still wanted to get into that part. How three very white women inspired perhaps the blackest Tony Award-winning Best New Musical of all time. And what we can learn from our own inner white girl. Michael, 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 Michael. (laughs) (laughs) I keep going back to that. Okay. I guess before we go any further, I want you to describe this show for the folks that will hear this chat without giving everything away. Yeah, so A Strange Loop is a musical about a young black gay man named Usher who works as an usher at a Broadway show and is writing a musical about a young black gay man named Usher who works as an usher at a Broadway show who is writing a musical about a young black gay man named Usher who works as an usher at a Broadway show and sort of cycling through his own self-perception and self-hatred. Yeah, and are we giving away too much if we say that the only people on stage the entire show are Usher and his thoughts? No, I think that's accurate. Okay. And forgive my, like, sexy voice. I was at a, a concert last night. And which which concert? I went to see Tori Amos. Stop. Yeah. Does she know about the show? Yeah, I, I got backstage passes. I got to meet her last night. Was she cool? Was it the it first was, time meeting it her? Was, it's the first time I've ever met her. It was, like, incredible. Give me all of it, please. Um, we went backstage. I was with my um, my agent and my two friends, who all of whom are fans of her. And we went into her, like, not her dressing room, but like a little green room yeah. kind of space that she had. And What's her aura like in the Hinder space? I mean, it's exactly like what you <laughs> see. Like, it's just like calm yeah. and inviting yeah. and warm. And, you know, she told me, because I had requested a song through her manager who had set up the, this meet and greet. Song? It was called Here in My Head. It's like a B-side. And I was like, there's no way she's going to do it. Mm-hmm. And then she did it. Oh, my God. And then... Your power. And then I went back and she said, you know, I did that for you. And I, like, lost it. <laughs> and I, and that was also, But also before that, I started babbling and crying, which oh. I knew was probably going to happen because yeah. he's very important to my story, sort of artistically and yeah. in terms of an inspiration. Like you have said, maybe I'm just the horizon run to. Yeah, okay, so you bring up Tori Amos. We should talk about how big of a deal she is and these two other white ladies are in the show. How do we set up the role that the Holy Trinity of Liz Fair, Tori Amos, and Joni Mitchell mm-hmm. play in your life and in Usher's life in the show? Yeah. So, you know, as a teenager, I was like a pretty angsty black gay 
teenager who's like just sort of coming out and oh yeah we all were at that and age. all of that I love and, because it, uh, yeah. it's funny like I've seen you say angsty yeah it's like baby ain't right. no other way <laughs> right <laughs> when you figured it out but yeah but like I, you know I was and I was also a writer and trying to like find my voice and yeah and doing a lot of imitating of people and my cousin had given me these two CDs that she thought I would like for mm-hmm. whatever reason and it was Tori Amos's first and second album Little Earthquakes and Under the Pink. Okay. And I decided one night just to try one of them out. So I started with Under the Pink mm-hmm. and I turn off the lights, put on my headphones. Yes. The music starts. I can't sing. But yes, goes, you can. Tears on the sleeve of a man. Don't want to be a boy. Don't want to be a boy today. And that, like, I was like, oh, shit. Don't want to be a boy today. Yeah, like, there's something about just the phrasing yeah. and the idea that to that music yeah. just really struck a chord with me with where I was at the time uh. as the angsty black gay teenager was just coming out. And I just wanted to hear more and more. And then in the middle of the song, she starts sort of wailing, you know. What, what do you mean wailing? Uh, she goes, um... Well, let me tell you something about America. What's it gonna take till my baby's alright? What's it gonna take till my baby's alright? And then it like goes back to sort of a quiet, yeah. reflective thing. Yeah. And I was just, I just had never heard anything like that. Yeah. And then like the next song starts off. <laughs> God, sometimes you just don't come through. God, sometimes you just don't come through. And I was like, oh, I really need to hear that because. <laughs> I was starting to really question a lot of my religious upbringing. Yeah. And, and just, he just was getting into stuff that I was like, I didn't know that you could get into. Were you, did you stop and think in those early moments of hearing Tori Amos for the first time, wow, how does this white woman make so much sense to me? Or was it just let it wash over it you? It wasn't even, I don't, at that point, I wasn't thinking about it on a, very much on a racialized yeah. sense. Yeah. I just, I mean, obviously I was like, this white girl with red hair. I was like, oh my, and I, and that was, I think in that sense, I was like, no one can know that I am listening to this because I will get clowned. Wow. So a lot of my early years of listening to her music was about trying to hide it from my family. Really? I'd have to like keep an eye out for who else was a fan of hers and I could mm-hmm. only talk about it with them. You know what I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. And so just her music just, like, was something that I was able to glom onto. Yes. I then went from copying, like, Maya Angelou to copying her. Woo, boy. And also I, I was love playing at piano at church every Sunday, yeah. so. Well, you mentioned that you would try to, like, sneak in Tori Amos riffs into your church Yeah, music. just little things, like, in how I would play the song. That it's, speaks to me so much because yeah. I grew up in a Pentecostal church, mm-hmm. and my mother— was a church organist and mm-hmm. I was a saxophonist in the horn section. We had a section. Mm-hmm. And some of us in the church band, we would sneak in D'Angelo. Okay. Okay. We I can see sneaky. that. And that's. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. So flash forward after Tori Amos becomes a big part of your life, mm-hmm. so does the music of Joni Mitchell. Yeah. And Joni was like, 
So it was like Joni Kane kind of next. Okay. The album that I got that was my gateway to her is one that's not one of her more popular ones hmm. at all. It was like in the bargain bin basement okay. at, at Borders. Oh, um, yeah. Rest in peace, Borders, books and music. That was a spot. I love Borders. Same. So I go in the bargain bin basement and I get this album, Dog Eat Dog, okay. from 1985. Okay. And I went and listened to it and I was like, oh, this doesn't sound like what I've always heard about this woman. And, I, and it doesn't sound like her other songs because her voice sort of had started to change mm-hmm. a little bit by then. Mm-hmm. But I liked it enough that yeah. I just sort of kept listening to it. And I was really impressed with her lyrical intelligence. And that, like, then propelled me to seek out the other ones. So then I got, like, I bought, like, Cord and Spark, uh, Blue, For the Roses, The Hissing of Summer Lawns. I I bought all of them. Okay. And I just started to listen to them. And I was just like, she's a genius. And her insights were like a hot knife through butter. Yeah. Still be on my feet. Oh, I would still be on my feet. And just her humor and her her candor really spoke to me. And then after that, like I discovered Liz Fair. Who was probably in this trinity? She's a Jesus? She's, yes. Uh, Joni is the mother, Liz is the daughter, and Tori is the Holy Ghost. <laughs> yeah. And so Liz, I discovered also by her 2003 album, her self-titled album that everyone hated. And that you liked it. I liked it. I was like, because <laughs> it, it, what I liked about it was that it sounded like, you know, an Avril Lavigne album. Yeah. Musically. What was the lead single because on she that literally, one? Because she literally it. worked with like Ma- the, uh, the Matrix. The Matrix. Yeah. On like two or three what of the songs. What was the lead single? Extraordinary. Yeah. And then Why Can't I? What is it like? How's that go? Why can't I speak whenever I think about it? That's an Avril Lavigne song. Yeah. It's an Avril Lavigne song. But but like the lyrics were just a little bit too... They're too smart. Smart for for like just a mainstream pop song. And I was like, oh, this is interesting. I liked it well enough. I was like, well, let me go investigate some of her other songs. And so then I go to Exile in Guyville. Which is the the one. one. And when I heard that, and I was like, the same person... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> did both of these things that are so cool in two different ways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, I I don't have to know more about this woman. Then I went and got everything. And okay. then I'd like started reading about her and reading interviews. And like just I became obsessed with how funny she was mm. and how she seamlessly wove like sex through her music yeah. and could be funny about it, could be dark about it, could be just really honest and like just lyrics like fucking run, fucking run, even when I was 17. Um, fucking run, run, even when I was 12. I mean, that's like, who says that? But also, I get it. <laughs> and, and that also, and just the, the way that she the character, as I think of it, on Exile in Guyville that she creates, I think of that album as like a novel. It has a very clear beginning, middle, and end. Wow. And I was just so impressed yeah. b- with that. And just 
the feelings that she created, like on songs like Help Me Mary, when she's talking about how angry she feels being this woman mm. in this sort of indie rock scene where all the men are just kind of patting her on the head. I'm asking you, Mary, please. And she's like, she goes, help me, Mary, please. Temper my hatred with peace. Weave my disgust into fame and watch how fast they run to the flame. I mean, that's that's <laughs> that's a that's like a real quatrain there. Like that's yeah. that's like it says exactly what yeah. you think. And and I like I felt that. Even though it, her experience was different, yeah. I felt that in my own life of like disgust with like, you know, whatever community I was mad at that mm-hmm. I was inside of, what mm-hmm. it was like. I was mad at K's or I was mad at like black folks or I was mad at my family or I was mad at other artists or I was mad at musical theater or whatever. Like this idea of weed my disgust into fame and watch how fast they run to the flame. Like I just couldn't believe that somebody like thought of that and like put it into words that feeling. And so these white women and their music Mm -hmm. speaks to you dearly, becomes a big part of your life, but then they, they end up in the show yeah. and they're an influence for the character Usher mm-hmm. and there's a song all about how he channels their spirit almost uh, in the song Inner White Girl Unleash his blackness feels like another hurdle that won't get out of his way Yeah, because that and what that song is is him sort of expressing how he both because in the in the musical there's this thing that's happening where Usher's art and life are kind of seamless. Yeah, and, and like j- just for some setup, Usher is very smart and very talented, but has the lowest self esteem. Right, the lowest self esteem, mm-hmm. and he'll tell you from the yeah. start, I don't like myself. Right, and these women and their music, it's like they're very. What would free. you call it? They they they're are like free. his inner. They're, they're his inner freedom or his idea of freedom yeah this idea that you can do and say whatever you want that you can you can contain multitudes yes in ways that he feels as a a black man that he's not necessarily afforded by the world or by his himself she doesn't care if she ruffles any feathers in fact that is her mo where he's the king of avoiding confrontation there's not a bomb she won't throw and yet when he hears this music it 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 gives him like a spark of inspiration to try to sort of to be as fearless as ballsy as you know cool tall vulnerable and luscious as they might be and so he's looking to them for that and yet he also in the song realizes that they are also a kind of crutch for him as well and so it's the strange loop is in that too of like i'm looking to, to these women for freedom but by looking to them for freedom i'm, I'm not sort looking of, to myself i'm not looking to myself but i'm also kind of uh subjugated to the thing trying to be something outside of me yeah so in the song inner white girl there's a line and correct me on the exact mm-hmm. wording of it usher's basically like white girls can do anything mm-hmm Black boys must do what their mothers must always, always obey their mothers. Always obey their mothers. White girls can do anything, can't they? Black boys must always obey their mothers. White girls can do anything, can't they? Can't they? Can't that song happens right after a scene where his mother sort of descends in the form of all six of the thoughts that are. Uh, the ensemble, there's an ensemble that yeah. plays all his thoughts. And in that particular moment, they sort of all come out as his mother sort of asking him 
Like, what's he doing in New York? How are you making any money? When are you going to get married to a woman and give up these homosexualities? And you need to write me a Tyler Perry style gospel play. <laughs> and he comes out of that being like, ugh. And he tur- that's when he turns to his inner white girl. Yeah. I must say, I love the song, but I was thinking about it when Usher sings, white girls can do anything. I was like, I don't know in real life any white girl or white woman who actually feels like they can do anything. Sure. Uh, and, and that's a real thing. But he also says he lets him feel like a human supernova, like he could conquer the earth. Like he's the heir to the power and oppression mm. her kind of wielded since birth. White girls can do anything, can they? But boys must always obey their mother. So he's, he he's sees in that. the white woman, like, this thing of, like, they feel both oppressed uh-huh. and they feel powerful. Yeah. And, like, it can go back and forth. How would you describe your inner white girl? I mean... For me, the inner white girl is like very much an abstract concept. And it's just my inner white girl is very honest. Okay. She says whatever is on her mind. She's not, she's she's no respecter of persons. She's not trying to keep up with any Joneses. Okay. But, you know, I'm my inner white girl, in quotation marks, is is not a static thinker and like is not afraid to be unpopular, having to wield an unpopular opinion. So she's like, I'm trying to think. I don't, I don't know. Was I inner white girl? What, what was I? I was probably just Sasha Fierce in it. <laughs> <laughs> is your, uh, how is what your inner white girl says to you changed over time? Well, I mean, it's changed in that, like, I don't really have to, like, I mean, we're talking about an inner white girl, but, like, the truth is, like, that's just me. Like, that's who I am, and I've become more comfortable with myself and with my thoughts. Yeah. And my thoughts are not necessarily as self-punishing as they were when I was in my 20s and early 30s. Yeah. Um, And so, you know, I just, I accept myself for who and what I am, and I'm unapologetic about it. Thanks again to Michael R. Jackson. A Strange Loop is still on Broadway, and I highly, highly recommend that you go check it out. Culture Geist. Culture Geist. You're listening to Culture Geist. Culture Geist. I don't know, y'all. And now for a segment we're calling Culture Geist. About all the things we can't stop thinking about. The culture that's haunting you, haunting me, haunting all of us, for better or worse. My name is Jackson McHenry, and I am a senior writer for Vulture, and for the past week or so, this has been haunting me. 
Now that is a motif that is introduced in um, the music that Bear McCreary has composed for Amazon's TV series, The Rings of Power, which is its big Lord of the Rings adaptation. And it's been haunting me because it sounded really familiar and it plays in places in the score that have to do with the titular Rings of Power, which yada, yada, yada are very important in Middle Earth. And this is show is about the making of them during the Second Age because it's based on the appendices of the books and dodges around the fact that Amazon doesn't actually run the rights for the Silmarillion and it's very complicated and you can read about that in the story I wrote. But what is the best part of the series is um, the fact that Bear is working with the themes that Howard Shore wrote for the Peter Jackson films. And if you pay close attention, you can notice that that theme is a reorchestrated version of this in the Peter Jackson movies. It's, that has more ornamentation, it's played by the strings, it's in a different area, but it's pretty much the same motion. And when you watch the uh, Rings of Power show, um, if you so choose to, you'll notice a lot of similar things going on with the music, which is really key to the emotional components of the whole picture and gives it the whole Wagnerian flair and everything. And it's fascinating to think about. Hi, my name is Zoe Guy, and I'm a news writer at Vulture. One thing that's been haunting me the past couple of days since I watched the first episode of the new Hulu series, Tell Me Lies, is the character Steven. It's your freshman year. You should be having fun. Well, maybe you can be my distraction. And he is a literal demon. This character is in this sort of casual but intense relationship with freshman Lucy. And it's just so horrifying to watch. The show is billed as this tumultuous but intoxicating relationship between Stephen and Lucy. But all Stephen does is cheat on her and lie to her. And I get it, it's tell me lies. But in no way could this man be redeemed. Like, is the sex that good? Who is that? That's Stephen's girlfriend. I don't know, y'all. I just, I've had enough. Hi, my name is Bethy Squires, and I write the This Week in Late Night column for Vulture. And currently, I can't stop freaking out about Euphoria winning a Creative Arts Emmy for the I Need a Hero dance number from Lexi's play. Within the world of Euphoria... Lexi, or maybe her little henchwoman stage manager, choreographed that number. So, in a way, Lexi Howard has an Emmy now. It was like a big night overall for Euphoria. Coleman Domingo was like, Sam's got plans. He's defying expectations. He's pushing boundaries. And that has me stressed out. What's he going to do to us next? Thanks again to Bethy Squires, Zoe Guy, and Jackson McHenry. My Culture Guys this week is the very good song, Sunflower. Sunflower Volume 6. It's by Harry Styles, and I know he's having a week, but whenever a celebrity I kind of like is in the news, I like to see the good in them as well as the bad. 
Listeners, do you have a culture geist, a thing in the culture that's been haunting you for days, weeks, even years? Tell us. The more specific you are, the better. Send us a short voice memo at intuit at vulture.com. All right, Intuit is hosted by me, Sam Sanders, and this show is produced by Janae West, Jelani Carter, and Zach Mack. Our editor this week is Liza Yeager. Our engineer is Daniel Turek. Our music is composed by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Our podcast operations manager is Gabby Grossman. And Hannah Rosen is the editorial director of audio at New York Magazine. All right, we are back next Thursday with a new episode. Until then, keep praying for more celebrity drama. I know I am. It's good for business. Listeners, I know you thought we were done. But one last thing. Turns out, one of my colleagues actually had a Leah Michelle experience recently. Hi, it's Jackson again, and I am back because I have just witnessed a very important cultural turning point in our lifetimes. Uh, the first performance uh, that Leah Michelle made in Funny Girl on Broadway. I saw it happen. I was someone in a tree, as Sondheim would say. <laughs> I bought a ticket and was seated somehow nearby the crowd of audience members that included, of course, Jonathan Groff, Ryan Murphy, for some reason, Lee Pace, and Kathy Hochul, uh, who feels like she should be doing government things, but is instead witnessing this transfer of power. The thing you can say about Leah is, to quote Kara Hummel, she may be difficult, uh, but she can sing. And so she got standing ovation after standing ovation from a very receptive audience. They also could not help but laugh at the many times that Fanny Bryce's character in Funny Girl talks about the fact uh, that she doesn't read. You look a character out of a book, and I haven't read so many books. So. <laughs> <laughs> the critics will be coming in a few weeks to give their full assessments. I know we'll be going back for a second. He'd be full of <laughs> But for now, we can leave it at. You know, it was raining in New York, but uh, she she had her parade. Goodbye.